Our reading this morning is from Luke 2, verses 6 through 16. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. We're glad you're here this morning, and we know that there are a number of guests among us, uh, people that have maybe come in from out of town, spending time together with family. We're thankful that you're here, and I hope it is that you'll find this worship service uh, encouraging, edifying, and that uh, God will be glorified. You've maybe heard the story about the woman who was doing her last-minute Christmas shopping, and uh, she had to get her cards out, otherwise she knew that those uh, the people, she would violate some kind of social taboo, and so... She had 49 people on her Christmas card list, and she ran out to the local Hallmark, and she uh, just bought a pack of one of those, you know, uh, the prepackaged 50 cards, and uh, and she grabbed onto that, and she didn't really take a look at what they said, and she ran home and, and filled them out and mailed all 49 off and uh, without really ever reading the card. Well, on Christmas Day, whenever things had kind of calmed down a little bit, she began to, she found one of those cards lying there on the uh, counter, the only one that hadn't, uh, hadn't been mailed. And she looked at it and uh, looked on the front and said, this is just a little note to say. And she opened it up. A, a little gift is on the way. <laughs> Sometimes it pays to read before you sin. Just FYI, that's a great lesson for all of us. I wonder sometimes how often we evaluate the gift of Jesus Christ and uh, the wonderful thing that God did in sending him to be born of a woman. I understand that at this time of year, uh, for a Christian that knows their Bible, for a person that knows their Bible, there are a number of things that happen within a person like this. It may be that you find yourself getting a little nervous. When we talk, have somebody that talks about the birth of Jesus anytime between Thanksgiving and between uh, December 25th, you look at it and you say, there's, there, there's, there's a disconnect there. Our world has been trained to say the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all the way to uh, December 25th is the Christmas holiday where we take a look at and wonder about the birth of Jesus because the entire world seems to be focused upon this singular event. And so it is if I look at, the, look at my Bible and I say, you know what, God doesn't give me a day that Jesus was born. In fact, uh, um, we'll talk about here in just a moment so, some differences between that, but you may make you a little nervous. 
And based upon that, you know, uh, it may be one of those things that you just want to try and be quiet about. I remember going into high school and having friends who were talking about uh, they were participating in live nativities. They said, Andy, what did your church do to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus, to celebrate Christmas, is what they were asking. And I said, you know what, we, we gather together and we worship on Sunday like, like we're commanded to do. Well, wait a minute, y'all don't have a live nativity? Y'all don't have a, 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 a December 24th candlelight service? You don't do something like that? And I said, no. We are celebrate. We celebrate the birth of Jesus every single day. Even more so, we celebrate his death. And it was that they turned around and they began to label attacks, which kind of leads us to the third one, is that we want to have a tendency sometimes to argue about it. And so you know what? Nowhere in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find a scripture that says on December 24th, December 24th Jesus was born or was born on Christmas Day. There's nowhere in Scripture that reveals to us that this was Jesus' birthday. And I was uh, been a part of congregations where the preacher stood up on uh, the Sunday before Christmas and gave a detailed explanation about why it is that we don't celebrate Christmas on December 25th, why we don't celebrate uh, uh, Jesus' birth on December 25th. Well, truth, maybe. Absolutely. But at the same time, helpful, not necessarily. But when we look at Jesus, when we look at his birth, I want you to understand a number of truths or four truths just as we get started here this morning. Number one, there is no evidence for a December birth. That's the truth of the matter. In fact, if you want to reckon it by a biblical calendar, the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was most likely born in either late March or early September. That's the truth of the matter. That kind of puts a spin on a whole new, lot of those uh, those carols that we sometimes sing around this time of year here uh, on the radio, March or September. Truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, is that divine revelation is superior to human tradition. While it is that our world is focused on this as the pinnacle moment to say Jesus came about on December 25th, you know what, again, if we're just going to be Christians and Christians only, and realize that God in all of his wisdom could have said in any one of the gospel accounts or any one of the books of the Bible that this was going to be the specific day that he wanted us to celebrate the birth of Christ, he would have done it. Instead, the Bible puts more emphasis on the death of Christ and upon his resurrection, upon his, his sacrifice for all of us than it does on necessarily the birth. So we want to follow divine, uh, divine revelation rather than human tradition. And so we talk about Christmas and we say, well, what does Christmas become? And the Bible tells us that, you know what, there's no esteeming of days and that's not condemned. I look at a passage like Romans chapter 14 and it talks about a man who wants to observe the day and observing it to the Lord. That is, my family and I are going to gather around a tree on December 25th. We're going to open presents together. We're going to spend time together as a family, but we're not going to necessarily celebrate the birth of Jesus, specifically because of that day. And I want you to realize this lastly. The birth of Christ is extremely important. I think it was Larry King who years ago was asked, uh, what singular event would you like to be privy to and know with 100% accuracy that this was true? And Larry King, without hesitation, made the statement, I believe, to know about the birth of Jesus Christ. He said, because I would like to know the truth of the virgin birth, because if it was true, if it is true, then the rest of history will fall into place. 
the birth of Christ is extremely important. And this morning as we work from Luke chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the way in a manger. The way in a manger. From Luke chapter 2, have you ever thought about the importance of the manger? You're going to find it mentioned specifically three different places. Once there in verse uh, 7. That is that Jesus was born of woman. Jesus came forth. His mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And she laid him in a manger. Verse 7. Look down at verse 12. As the angel commands these shepherds, the angel says, "You'll find this will be the sign to you. You'll find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Look down at verse 16. The shepherds came. With haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Why is the manger important to the birth of Jesus? Why is it that that God chose this, this lowly scene for the birth of the Savior of the world? Why not in king's palaces? Why not lying in this finest uh, bed with feather bed with silk sheets and all those things? The most comfortable environment. Instead, you find the Savior of the world. The one humanity has been waiting on, lying in this lowly place. Four reasons this morning why I believe God chose to use this lowly scene. Why a manger? Number one, because of alienation. Because of alienation. The occasion that Jesus was born was, as Todd Martin mentioned this morning in Bible class, did an excellent job, a result of a census. If you'll actually take a look there, verses 1 and 2 in the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2. It came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So each one was registered, went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Can you imagine, uh, well, when I used to live in San Marcos, during graduation weekend there at Texas State, woe to you if you were going to try and find a hotel room. Right. You have such an influx of parents and influx of family members that want to come. And for this uh, occasion of graduation, that it is that you would have to book your hotel room months or uh, years in advance sometimes. And when it is that you've got these people that are now having to go from whatever part of the world they were in to the city, wherever it was that they were from. Joseph was in the line of David. And so he had to go to Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary, being as poor as they were, went into the city and they had no room at the inn. There was no occasion that they could go and say, we'd like a hotel room for this night and, 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 and have that happen. There was just no room. And so it was Mary and Joseph having to make do with what they had available. They went and they found a place of shelter, a place of refuge, a barn, a stable. Some have supposed even a cave. But it is that after Mary gave birth, she took this child, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger. Can you imagine a perfect bed for a newborn baby? We have a bassinet that we put Audrey and Claire and Aaron in whenever it was they were born, and you don't find bassinets with low, <laughs> with low sides. Why is that? Because uh, something might happen, the thing gets bumped, and the baby just rolls off. Instead, you've got this uh, manger that has the high sides. You've got the nice soft hay. Seems elementary to keeping a baby safe, a newborn safe. But what you find even more so is in this scene, in this beautiful, peaceful scene, there's more of a separation from what was going on. This young family now celebrating the birth of this baby boy, the Savior of the world, and they were on the outside of where the rest of society was. 
And in fact, this manger became a means for identifying identification of the shepherds. Verse 12, this shall be the sign to you. You're going to find the bay wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Brothers and sisters, I think if nothing else, the manger teaches us that the life of Jesus was a life that was never at home in this world. We sing a song that's along those same lines. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim or wayfaring stranger traveling on this world of woe. When you look at Jesus and his life and his testimony of who he was, you remember that he said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8 verse 20. The Bible says that Jesus didn't commit himself to any man because he knew what was in all men. John 2, verse 24. And as it is, as Jesus conducted his public ministry, he made his friends, he made his relationships with those tax collectors and those sinners, those people who were on the outside. He was the one that had this woman of questionable repute come and wash his hair with her tears and dry, uh, wash, her, wash his feet with her hair, dry it with her, or wash, his, uh, wash his feet with her tears and dry it with her hair. I'll get it right. And you understand that on the outside of what society thought was acceptable and appropriate, on the outside of the way it was that people conducted themselves, Jesus lived his life appealing to those who felt alienated. He was the one who spent time with them and loved them sacrificially because he was one of them. A manger. Why a manger? It was also a source of association. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Now, immediately after this scene, she, uh, she has this baby. She uh, wraps him in swaddling clothes. She lays him down in the manger. Verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out of the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Great biblical days I would have loved to see. These shepherds standing out, maybe hearing the crickets chirp, maybe hearing the occasional baa of a, a sheep that hadn't gone to sleep. And they're standing out there, and all of a sudden an angel appears before them and says this, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be the sign to you that you'll find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And this single angel, all of a sudden it's like the curtain of heaven is rolled back and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And peace and goodwill on earth towards men. And then just as quickly as this heavenly chorus is opened, the door is slammed shut. And you've still got those sheep that are bawling. You've still got crickets that are chirping. But now you have something to which you look to your fellow shepherd and go, did, did, we, did we just witness that? Did we just see that? And immediately they get up and they go and they look for this child. You ever wonder why it was that the birth of Jesus was heralded to these shepherds? Why it was that they were probably the first ones to go and poke their heads around the side of the stall and see this, this scene. There are a few more frequently used phrases or pictures than sheep and shepherd with the likeness of God's people and God. In fact, Jesus would call himself in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. 
And if you go through and do a character study of just what we know about these shepherds, they were faithful, they were watchful, they were receptive, they were humble enough to go and receive God's message. They were glad to receive God's message. And they found the manger. They knew what it looked like. They knew the places in Bethlehem that that might be. And so they went and perhaps they searched here and there. But brothers and sisters, above all, I think the manger teaches us that Jesus is the one who is the shepherd. He is associated with shepherds. He is the one that's going to see that his people are fed. And you remember that one of the things that broke his heart, one of the things that he noticed about God's people were that they were scattered and they were wandering and he felt compassion on them because they were wandering around like a sheep without a shepherd. The manger is a source of association. Manger, I believe, number three, is a source of accessibility. Why is it that these shepherds were the first to see and then the kings? I know that you'll drive around town and you'll see people that maybe in the front yard or maybe in uh, the yard of a, a church house somewhere. They'll have this nativity where you have, you know, of course, uh, Mary and Joseph and then the, the manger there right in the middle. And then you'll have the shepherds there. And then you'll have three that are kings or wise men, as, as, as people call them, right? And you'll have this there. But you know what? Matthew tells us. Matthew doesn't include the, uh, the episode of the shepherds at all. In fact, Matthew, what he's going to do is talk about the, these, these magi, these wise men, as we talked about in Bible class this morning. And it was that they didn't even go to the manger. They went to the house. You read through Matthew chapter 2 and see if that's not true. In fact, those, those manger scenes that you see are not, not accurate. And as they looked and as they viewed him, as these shepherds saw him, they were the first ones to see this. And when you look at the book of Luke and who it was written to, it's written to a Greek audience or a Gentile audience to show Jesus was a perfect man. But you have a picture of the accessibility of these shepherds going before and seeing this child. These shepherds, these dirty, stinky, smelly men start to come in to find the child and the manger is going to be the sign. You know, Matthew mentions the kings coming to visit because Matthew is showing Jesus from a kingly lineage. Purpose of Matthew is to show the Jews, this is your king. This is the one that you've been waiting on. This is your Messiah. This is the Christ. And here are these foreign men that are coming in and they're laying down their gifts and they're worshiping him. But Luke and Matthew, the purpose is not the same. Luke too emphasizes the accessibility of Jesus. It wasn't that the shepherds had to go to the Bethlehem Inn, room number 408. And they had to be stopped right there at the front desk, if I'm thinking about the local Holiday Inn or local La Quinta, and say, well, who are you here to see? Well, we're here to see, uh, uh, well, I'm not really sure because uh, the manger is going to be the sign. Well, I'm sorry, I can't let you in unless you know who the guests that you're going to see. And they didn't go through the hotel, you know, knocking on the doors and trying to figure out which room this was in. It wasn't the fact that Jesus was born into this kingly household where it was, the shepherds were stopped by the guards at the gate of this kingly, uh, kingly or princely house. And where it was, they say, we'd like to see the one who was born, the Savior, the Christ the Lord. I want to see him. Well, I'm sorry, there's no access for dirty, stinky, smelly shepherds. When Jesus would issue his great invitation, as we talked about on Wednesday evening from Alan, from Matthew chapter 11, and him saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, when Jesus made his appeal, 
It wasn't just for the elites of society. It wasn't just for the people that had the most money. It wasn't just for the ones that had the status or the prominence in their, in their community. He said, come to me all. There wasn't just an emphasis on those people, but there was an emphasis on all people. Because that was God's purpose in sending him here. It was that anybody that wanted to could have gone to that stable and looked in that manger and seeing the child that was born. But not anybody did. They found the baby. The shepherds were average ordinary people and were invited to see the birth of the King of Kings. And when Jesus spoke later in his earthly ministry, the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. The manger is a source of announcement. The angel said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and good will towards men. What great thing has God had done through Jesus? He has enabled peace, has enabled good will towards men. How has he done it? He's done it by Holy Spirit and by the woman. Now there's a newborn lying in this feeding trough, this manger. The Bible tells us what the shepherds did in verse 17. When they, that is the shepherds, had seen him, they made known widely the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. Verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. These shepherds, these common Israelites, these common men that, that were abiding here in the fields. And again, I'm sorry that I don't know if they're Israelites or Jews. We would assume that they were Jews, but we just don't know. And they go back and they're going and they're telling everybody that's going to listen. Guess what we see? We were out standing in this field and we saw this, this angel come and announce us. And all of a sudden the, uh, the curtains of heaven were rolled back. We saw this multitude of angels and they were announcing glory to God in the highest. And we went, we saw just like the angels told us. And we went to Bethlehem. As Todd mentioned this morning in our Bible class, the word literally means Beth, house, Lehem of bread. And as they're announcing, there is bread in the house of bread. Jesus, the Christ, is put in the place of animals where they know that they're going to go and they're going to get fed. And the manger teaches that the spiritual food in the place is acceptable to everybody. And Jesus would say in his earthly ministry, I am the bread of life. The bread of God is that he comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6, verse 33. And as the angel announced his arrival on earth, they made sure to mention the manger. The idea may be that these shepherds were spiritually starving men, waiting for years for the redemption of Israel to come. And at the word from the Lord, they go, they see, there's bread in the house of bread. And then they immediately go out and they tell everybody that they can. And they go and announce the birth of the King of Kings to everybody that will listen. Brothers and sisters, as we look at our spiritual manger and how it is that the one who is laid in the manger offers the food that will never perish, that will never grow old, that will never run out, the question we have to ask ourselves as people, are we spiritually hungry? Jesus would say in his greatest sermon that he would give in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In his temptation in the wilderness, where the devil told him to turn those stones into bread, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and verse 4. We have to ask ourselves, are we hungry? 
the way in a manger, teaches us all of these things about his alienation, about his association, about his accessibility, and about the announcement that he is here. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is the one who is laid in the manger the Lord of your life? The way in a manger teaches us he's not found in king's palaces where you have to be somebody or know somebody special to meet him. He is the one who identifies with the common man, with the ordinary people. He is the one who is accessible to everyone, rich, poor, young, old, male, female. If it is that we would just seek for him, he can be found. And brothers and sisters, the manger teaches us that he has come. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You know, goodwill originated somewhere. And it wasn't in a song by Vince Guaraldi. You know, it wasn't in any song that was written. That peace was revealed by God. And now we, like shepherds, have the responsibility to share that news with other people in announcement. The gospel is the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ to glorify himself. And as we look at the birth of Jesus, and as we think about the birth of Jesus, the question we have to ask is, what difference has Christ come made in your life? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to God in faith? Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please him. If we, have we come to him in humility and repentance, Acts 2 and verse 38, have we come and have we been immersed for the forgiveness of our sins? Mark 16, 15 and 16, Acts 2 verse 38, Acts 22 verse 16. Bible tells us the only way to be right with God is through the way that was laid in a manger. It was the fact that he was nailed to the cross for your sins and for mine. It was the fact that he was resurrected from the dead because sin had no hold on him. And it is the fact that he is coming back one day to receive his own. Are you one of his own? You can be this morning as we stand and sing our invitation song.